Would you grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Psalm 119, Psalm 119. And uh, as you're finding God's word today, just want to speak into your hearts a little bit about uh, keeping the, uh, the end in mind in all that we do. Keeping the end in mind in all that we do. I guess I just come today a little bit relieved. We come to the end of a very long journey. As many of you are aware, in the midst of COVID, this seed of uh, revival planted into our hearts of how to execute that and how would that be done. And uh, as many of you are aware, home visits, calls, more to do this week. But as we wind down, we begin to see the very end of that preparation phase. And it has been enormous. It has been quite a challenge in these days. But I cannot help but to think that there are some amazing days ahead of us. Do I have anyone out there that concurs with me today? (laughs) I really believe that there are some great days in front of us. I I remember years ago, Adrian Rogers, when he would preach, he would uh, come to these particular points in his message, and all of a sudden he would kind of step back from the pulpit, and he would take both of his arms, and uh, he would say this statement at least a couple of times, and he would do his arms in succession. He would say, "Um, this world is going somewhere. And then he would repeat it. He would say, this world is going somewhere. And I think you and I are convinced today that this world is going somewhere, isn't it? Every one of us is going to end up in either that great white throne of judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. There's no question that there will be a destination at the end of all of these things that we call life. And so it's a challenge for us to live in keeping with the very end in mind. And we know that there will be an end. And with that thought today, I just wonder if God is not calling our congregation not so much to this biblical exhortation, which is so important. Our small group leaders do that. Our pastors do that. Many times you proclaim God's message in many different ways, sometimes in a formal way, sometimes not. But, but, but I wonder if the real essence of what we're after here is not just biblical exhortation, but biblical emulation, living out God's principles in front of others. I just wonder at times if that is not a, a very important mandate as we live our lives to live out this word of God. You remember when we were growing up, there used to be that little statement. I don't hear anybody say it anymore. So I know our young people are gonna probably hammer me a little bit and say, man, that was like old old school, Pastor Mike, old school. But there used to be something that we said, monkey see. Yeah, monkey see, monkey do. And so today, I want us to take us to the longest chapter in the Bible. Not because we're going to have the longest message in the history of mankind, but because in the middle, 
the middle of that incredible chapter are some very important verses for us. And let's read them together today. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 33. Many of you are aware, I believe, that in Psalm 119 there are these these couplets. Uh, Not couplets in twos, but these eight-verse couplets that we call in the study of God's Word. We know that Psalm 119, or, or many people recognize this, that they're really patterned after the Hebrew alphabet, one letter at a time, unfolding each couplet. But what becomes very apparent to the reader as they make their way through this chapter is the desire and the heart of the writer of the book of Psalms to really connect with this concept that he, he needs a new beginning. And, and he needs a fresh start. And as he does so with that need in his heart, he wants to make sure that he gets it right. He wants to be sure that he's in perfect connection with God. And you see that unfold. In fact, at the very anchor of what he's writing in Psalm 119, seven different times he emphasizes God's incredible scripture and the authority of God's word by using seven different words for the Bible. As we read today, we just take one of those couplets, and I I read from verse number 33, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the grace I dread, for your laws are good. And then look in verse 40. How I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Preserve my life. You know, just reading that, when we got to verse number 35... You know, a thought just came to me again. You know, isn't it interesting that the psalmist asked in verse number 35, Lord, I I want you to direct me. I want you to put me there on this path, a path that I delight. Isn't it interesting that the psalmist would ask for something in terms of direction that he loves so much? He said, this is really where I delight. This This is what I love. And then for me, I believe, verse number 37, as we read, man, wouldn't that be amazing if we could have that put on every computer screen in America? Wouldn't that be something at the top of every every computer, I mean, every computer screen, when you got into work, when you got to school, when you opened your laptop, you could do whatever work you wanted, but pasted there and posted, verse 37, turn my eyes away from the worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And so this morning, I just want to speak as we read these incredible verses. I don't know if you've got the sense of that. If you just take the first few words of each one of these individual verses, teach me, give me, direct me, or lead me, incline my heart, turn my eyes, confirm your servant, turn away these incredible moments of supplication. 
you know, when you go through this chapter, verses 1 through 8, it's the agony of sin, the, the agonizing. And when you come to that second couplet, not verses 9 through 16, uh, the, the, the writer is trying to exercise his, his heart toward, uh, toward the, the, the very godliness that, that, that he's walked through. When you come to verse 17 through 24, you can tell that the writer is just overwhelmed and, 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 and really wants to get all that God has for them. But today, as we come to these verses, I just want to mention five or six things. Just toss them out there to you for us to take with us today as we ramp up just a few days from the start of this revival. I just want to remind you how important it is that everything we do, we do in the shadow that's cast by the end that we know is coming, the urgency that that, that, that should bring, the direction and the refocusing of our lives that that should bring to us a center point of what is, it's urgent that we reach that place. And it's out of that urgency that we, I believe, tap into some of these powerful words. Go to verse number 33, because there I think we see more than anything a prayer of education. In verse 33, a prayer of education. Again, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow to the end. Did you notice kind of a tone of humility, but also a tone of dependence? It's interesting because verse 33, not only does the writer make a petition, but he also makes a promise. It's a principle of training that we see in this passage. He's asking for God. Did you note this? He's asking God. Uh, he's saying, uh, I, I, in the learning that you bring, uh, would you order my learning so that I might do, that I might be a doer? He's not asking to be trained and asking for God's direction in order just to know something. We live in a culture today <laughs> that, that if you want to know anything, you Google it, don't you? I mean, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Uh, Google plunge a toilet. Google paint a wall. Google fix a radiator, no antifreeze. Google whatever it may be. And uh, there seems to be people that have this, um, this tremendous amount of knowledge. But did you notice that the psalmist is not asking for that? He's not asking in order to know Look at it. Teach me that I may what? That I may follow you. That there's an action element there. He's asking because he wants to be a what? A doer. And I just remind you that people don't go down in history because what they know. People go down in history because of what they do with what they know. That's so important. Not just to know the truth, but to use it and to keep it to the end. Commitment that's made before truth is even revealed is what we see in the evidence of this psalmist life. I mean, for him, it doesn't matter what the truth is going to be. He is all in for God. And whatever that is, he plans to obey it. When I was looking over these verses, an old song came back into my mind there when I read verse 33. Do you remember it? Yes, Lord, 
Josh, we don't sing this anymore, do we? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I know, look at him. He's behind that little Ignite mask. He's giving me that little grin like, no, we don't sing that much anymore. How many of you remember, yes, Lord, yes, Lord? Thanks. Josh, turn around. Hey, hold your hands up. Josh, turn around and look. How many of you like that song? Hold your hands up. Josh, turn around and look at all those hands, man. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, to your will and to your what? And to your way. That's how the song goes, isn't it? Incredible. You see what the writer's doing? He's saying, Lord, I place my yes on the table and you, God, fill in the blank. Wow. Well, a prayer of education. But look in verse 34. There's a prayer of or for illumination. Thank God for wholehearted believers. Here's a psalmist that's trying to be all in wholeheartedly give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. By the way, that word understanding means to divide between things. We have an English word there that we so often plug in, to discern. I was thinking the other day, do any of you know who Dennis Swanberg is? The swan, okay. Christian uh, uh, comedian, pretty well known in Texas for sure, and It was, gosh, probably 15 years ago now, maybe almost 20, I guess, that we had him at one of our church events where I was pastoring. And we we had a a lady at that time that was working in our office. She was a fascinating lady, very faithful, very diligent. But uh, it was interesting to me to kind of watch her go through her life. She never seemed to catch on to things that were going on. And we were at this banquet And man, I mean, the swan was lighting it up. I mean, people were falling out laughing. I was laughing. Everybody around me was laughing. I looked across the room and she sat over the table and she was completely stone-faced. And I thought, I don't think she's getting it. I don't think she's getting it. After that banquet was over, we were all cleaning up and I asked her, hey, how did you like it? She said, well, Pastor Mike, I, I liked it but I just didn't think it was very funny. And I thought, you know, that's odd. We rock along there. We get through the weekend. We get to staff meeting next week. We're in the middle of staff meeting. And all of a sudden, she starts laughing. And so finally, it becomes kind of a distraction. So I just call her by name and say, hey, Tell me, fill me in, fill all of us in. What's so funny? And she begins to recite something that Swanberg had said. And she said, oh, I get it now. And it was kind of like, are you kidding me? First of all, I applaud you for memory. I had forgotten all that he even said that. But you know, bless her heart for much of her life, she had trouble just getting things. And the writer of, of, of this psalm just zeroes in and he asks God for something very important. He said, he said Lord, help me to be able to understand. Help me able to, to discern. And, and you write it down. Lord, you do this for me. You write it in my heart. Wow. And then look in verse 35. We mentioned that verse a moment ago, a prayer of direction. Again, why would you ask God to help Put you on a path for something that you love doing, something that you delight in, something that you take so much satisfaction in. And you and I recognize 
why this is happening. It's because you and I are engaged in a war. Maybe the writer of Galatians, Paul, said it best in Galatians 5, 17 when he said, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary, uh, contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are, you are not to do whatever you want. The direction of our life is pivotal. I loved what the founder of Chick-fil-A, any of you Chick-fil-A fans in here? Hands? Me too. Uh, Truett Cathy said this. He said, the average man will not lead other men because he's not able to lead himself. And how true this is that the psalmist just brings us to an understanding that all of us, a truth that all of us have lived, haven't we? We've all been here. We've all been there. In those moments that we knew what to do, we even loved the repercussions of doing it. But for whatever reason, we chose not to go down the righteous path. What an incredible moment. It's God's ability, I guess, is what the writer of the psalmist is asking for, to change our want-tos. About two weeks ago, this concept of path I was driven back into my heart. I headed over to Marshall for some business over there and dropped by the campus to see one of our students for just a moment to check on him. As I drove up to campus, they've got big gates now and fences, I guess with all this COVID and security stuff. and It's like an act of Congress to see anybody there anymore. But as, as I pulled up, I, 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 every time I go to ETBU's campus, all kinds of memories, when, when you go to your old college campus, any memories come flooding back? Some good, maybe some you want to forget. But uh, when, when we were there at ETB, they were doing some building, and that was way back in the 80s. That's 1980s. And uh, in doing so, our president was just about to transition. His name was Jerry Dawson. We called him Tiger D. He, he was about to transition out. We were about to get a new president and going into an interim. And, and as they were building a couple of new buildings, the architects began to ask the administration, where do you want to pour sidewalks going to these? And our president at that time, Jerry Dawson, said, we're not going to pour sidewalks for three or four months. And they said, well, man, it's going to get pretty muddy out there. What about inclement weather? And he said, we're not going to pour, pour any sidewalks for three or four months. And he made an observation. He said, the students will show us where to put the sidewalks. And sure enough, over the first few weeks, paths and grooves began to form where students walked in certain pathways. And so after several months, construction resumed on the grounds, landscaping resumed, and right where those grooved pathways were, they poured brand new four or five foot wide sidewalks. And after that was done, I just looked back and I thought, you know, how amazing, <laughs> what insight. And I don't know where you totally are able to get it here out of verse 35, but when he says, direct me into the very commands, the path of those commands, 
understand that as we follow the Lord, it's not always blazing the way through the brush. Many times it's allowing the work of God to cut certain grooves in our lives that help us etch out pathways that are so very important. Verse 36, this is also a prayer of inclination. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. As I read these words, I don't know what you're experiencing through your devotional guides and your prayer life right now. But you know, all of us, if someone were to look at our lives, we all put off, we all represent, we distribute with our lives, whether we like it or not, certain predictable patterns. Some are more predictable than others. It amazes me for you that take the same lunch every day to work. Now that would drive me insane. The same path, the same place, the same way. Others of you have a great variety in your life, but even though you have great variety in your life, there are certain predictable patterns. And one of those patterns that we can look at a man or a woman's life or someone in our student ministry is what is the pattern of their prayer life? What is the pattern of a prayer life? Because, you know, when it comes down to it, the pattern of a prayer life shows us just how desperate someone is for God to direct them. It is really amazing as I look back through verse 36, turn my heart to your statutes and not for selfish gain. Some of you have the word to covet there. Isn't that an interesting concept? Compound word there in the Hebrew language meaning to want, want more. Turn my heart to your statutes so that I will not want more. Solomon wrestled with that concept, didn't he? Fearing that he might lose something that he had amassed. Much of his life was spent, was spent in fear that he might lose something. He wanted more and more and more, but he was always so worried that something might get away from him. And so the writer of the Psalms says, I just, it's, it's a prayer of inclination. Look down in verse 37, it's also a prayer for attention. It's a prayer for attention. Turn my eyes away from the worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Sinful things, he's referring to there, that can attract us. And often we find ourselves gazing at something suggestive or sensual or sinful. But look in verse 38. It's also a prayer of realization. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. To realize what? When we say it's a prayer of realization, fulfill your promise to your service so that you may be feared. A realization of what? Who God is. One of the things that troubles me is about four or five out of ten Sundays, 
after in normal times we shake hands out by the column in covert times we bump elbows or wave at people in distant proximity and I go down these steps and I began to put things on the desk or put them in a stack or whatever's going to go on almost invariably about four out of those ten Sundays something will come rushing to my mind as in something that I left out or I wish I would have stated this way have you ever experienced those kind of things? Like when you go to the grocery store and get home and you, you unload everything only to learn that the very reason you went to the grocery store is the item that you forgot. And this past Wednesday, I had the privilege of going back in our teaching and I took our people for just a moment on Wednesday morning back to that moment in Isaiah 6. It's an incredible moment. Isaiah, as you know, is in the temple. And he's there out of really kind of an unusual reason, yes, to worship God, but it makes a big deal of this in Isaiah 6 because it, it, it references maybe the reason that he's even there to begin with. He's mourning the death of King Uzziah. King Uzziah had led the nation for 26 years had been a key figure, evidently, in Isaiah's life. And the Bible says Isaiah was there worshiping in the temple. And as he was doing so, it became very evident that God was there. In fact, he was able to see God lifted up, the majesty of God in that flowing robe. And those, those angelic beings, the, 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 the seraphim, they, 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 were, they were chanting and singing, holy, holy, holy. And we talked about something very important this past Wednesday. We talked about how important it was for you and I to understand who really, the best that we can to get a real realization of who God is. The best that we can grasp. As much as we can take in. Because it's not until we see God and who he is that we can actually see ourselves. And so what I was talking about this past Wednesday to our Wednesday worshipers at Mort Midweek was the fact how important it was that we see God so that we can see ourselves clearly. Do you remember his response there in Isaiah 6? Woe to me, a man of unclean lips. But the thing that I really missed, the thing that I wish I could go back and recapture and do it all over again, was that next statement. Isaiah said, once he recognized again God's majesty, he was able to see himself. But then he said, not only woe to me, but woe to the people. I live among what? People of unclean lips. You see, not only is it imperative that we see who God is in order that we can see who we really are. But it's imperative that we see God in his majesty so that we recognize who we are, listen, in order 
that we may better understand the people around us and who they are. And as we go into these revival days, that's our prayer around the Ignite theme, that we would once again be a church that would so magnify and lift up God and let people see who he is because when he's magnified and exalted, quickly people will begin to understand who they are. And when people begin to understand who they are, they'll start to have an understanding of the needs of those around them. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just first want to thank you for the incredible commitment of these to come in very frigid temperatures and cold day. Thank you for these that came into the house today, the small group ministry, to worship corporately together. And Father, we thank you for those that are sheltering in place today. We thank you for those that are tuning in today, that are streaming with us today, that are watching Father, when we close out Friday evening and the final call at that point is made by a pew captain, by one of our deacons, by one of our pastors, by one of our members, Father, we'll close out this preparation phase with that final devotional. And Father, as we gather on this next weekend, I guess if we were to just... Um, bring this down to a small capsule of importance. Let us in just some way, as only you can reveal, would you allow us to get a better sense of who you really are? That we might see you high and lifted up in your majesty, in your holiness, in your perfection. Father, for those that don't know you, we pray for a great awakening of their heart. We know one of the toughest, toughest things is the heart of an unrepentant sinner. So tough that only your Holy Spirit can penetrate it. Father, for those that are followers of yours, that we might be drawn closer to you and in some cases be more connected to you, have a more intimate walk with you and a more personal walk with you. Renew that in us. And Father, that too will happen when we see you high and lifted up. And Father, for the very incredible blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins, we thank you today for that sacrifice, a one-time offering, that allows us to have a substitutional payment for all of the sin instead of our lives be taken in punishment. We are given eternal life for the life of the Savior that paid the price for us. Thank you for that incredible God-given sacrifice. Father, as we leave this place today, let us leave as prayerful warriors committed to this task of reaching those in our community. Father, we love you. We worship you. And these things we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to look at me very carefully. Do not ever expect 23 minutes and 8 seconds again from this when I'm sharing with you, okay? I love you. Josh, come and let's be dismissed.